This show has taken on quite a few different types of formats in the last four years. We've had race recaps, we've had series discussions, we've had shows that are about deeper topics like mentorship or a fanciful fantasy type show like the one that Frank Cundiff and I did a few years ago where we pretended like 2020 actually happened and picked the winners. But at its heart, this show has always been about profiling athletes and profiling riders. One of the things that we've loved to do the most, which is to simply introduce to you riders that you think you might know, you should know, or people that you probably don't know at all. And that's what we're gonna do this week. We're going back to the basics. And we're gonna introduce a rider to you that you probably haven't heard much about over the last couple of years because she's relatively new to American Criterium Racing. So this week, we're going to be speaking with Katia Martinez Mignaro. Uh, my Spanish pronunciation may be good, it may be bad. You'll just have to listen to her introduce herself in a few minutes. She races this year for Goldman Sachs ETFs, the team out of South Florida. If you recall, a couple years ago, we did an interview with Madison Kelly from CWA. Same team, same white and blue colors, same Safeti kits, same basic everything. But it's a new field team for Katya. She came to the United States at the suggestion of one of her former teammates, Paula Munoz, and tried to explore what crit racing was and what it means to her. But obviously coming from Monterrey, Nueva Leon in Mexico, coming to the United States to bike race, coming through customs on a regular basis, those things all have some unique and rather interesting challenges for the 22-year-old bike racer. She's been around in the sport for a while, from mountain bike to BMX to track racing to stage racing and road racing in Europe, but now she finds herself here in the United States doing races which admittedly go from zero to fast a heck of a lot quicker than the road races that she had been doing in Spain and over in Europe. So the entire thing has caught in her quite a bit by surprise, but she still succeeded and succeeded in ways that are surprising, winning the Tour of Somerville in 2022 and a host of other races, including Bucks County. She's obviously a talent, but she's got some room to grow, as her results will show you, and she's got some lessons that she needs to learn. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, WideAnglePodium.com. It is the internet's only top-tier collection of independent cycling media, meaning this is all creator-owned, creator-run, creator-driven passion. From Cyclocross Radio, now featuring mountain bike racing since 2021, to the Grodio, to Nowhere Fast, to the Slow Ride Podcast. We are a network of friends and bike racers and messengers sometimes and people who are just passionate about things that have two wheels and pedals. Please head on over to WideAnglePodium.com and subscribe, become a member of the network and support these shows that give you so much joy, entertainment, maybe a few laughs here and there, and possibly some education about different types of sport. And so let's get into our show here with Katia Martinez. Okay, so my name is Katia Martinez Miñarro. I'm from Monterrey, Mexico, and I'm a professional cyclist racing for Goldman Sachs ETFs race. So when we have people who aren't, you know, US-based, they don't reside in the United States and they may not be born in the United States, we get to have a lot of fun at the beginning learning about geography. So you are from Monterrey, Nuevo León, which is one of the uh, city in one of the states in northern Mexico. Can you tell us where in Mexico you live and, and kind of like what it's like there? Well, it's the northern part of Mexico, northern eastern part of Mexico. I'm very, very close to Texas. 
Laredo and McAllen, Texas, uh, like two hours away. This is a big city. Probably you've heard about Mexico City. Well, Monterey is kind of the same. Uh, there's lots of people here. There is a uh, big industries and well, yeah, lots of cars, um, people. Uh, and since we're very close to the U.S., we are. I'm not gonna say that we're similar, but they, the people in here, tend to speak in English or. American industries or American products are in here because it's just very close. And right now it's what time you're on the same time zone as like Colorado and and Denver and in that area. So it's like two hours past the uh, eastern time zone that I'm here on in in Washington, D.C. Yeah, uh, here is right now it's 5 p.m., 5 18. And at 5 p.m., it is a balmy 101 degrees Fahrenheit, which seems to be the the normal or average temperature for you guys there. Uh, what's it like riding in in Monterey and Nuevo León? Well, if we're talking about weather, it's kind of complicated the whole year because during summer or spring, it's very, very hot, even in autumn. And so you have to ride at like, I don't know if you have to ride like four or five hours, whatever, you have to start at like five in the morning, like 5 a.m. if you don't want to catch 100 degrees at like 10 a.m. So it gets complicated in that way. Like you want to go climbing, but it's 110 degrees. So <laughs> you got to do it very early. And when it's winter, it gets very cold. It doesn't snow, but it do gets very cold. So if you ride very early, you'll get the coldest weather. So you probably have to ride then a little bit later. And so, yeah, but it's complicated also with traffic. It's not a very good place to ride. So we have a specific places where it's kind of safe to ride. So that's what we do. But so you have to play with weather and the hours of traffic and the places you really can ride. So, yeah, it gets kind of kind of tricky. We're not presented in the United States with a lot of information about daily life in Mexico in a, in a way that's generally flattering about, you know, the Mexican experience. What we hear a lot about are the, you know, unfortunately, like the refugee camps that are along the border or about, you know, what happened in Sinaloa and in the, the drug cartels and things like that. But there are good, normal, average, everyday human beings who live, reside, work and spend their entire life in, in Mexico. And you're exactly one of them. You're a university student who's trying to get her degree in what, nutrition? Yes. You know, what, tell, tell us about Monterey, you know, the cuisine, the nightlife, the, you know, the parks, whatever it is that you like the most about your city and why I and everybody else in the United States should come and visit and maybe do some bike riding. Well, I think one of the most also loudest thing that you heard about Mexico is the food, which is very good. You know, that's worldwide. Like Mexican food is just uh, something that's appreciated by the whole world. And yeah, it means a lot for the world. Not only tacos, but you heard the most probably tacos, enchiladas and all of that. But we have lots of different foods, including Monterey. In Monterey, what's kind of famous is uh, eating steak. It's kind of like a tradition that every Sunday you do just a barbecue and just steak with family and whatever. That's a typical thing about where I live. And also, if you talk about places to visit, there's lots of good places to ride. The city is called Monterey, actually, because it's related to mountains, because this city is called the City of Mountains. The city is well, was built in the middle of lots of mountains. So you have big mountains all over the place. So there's good place for, for climbing. There's lots of hills. The city is just hilly, just goes up, up and down. And of course we have lots of flat parts, but the famous thing is 
that is called the city of the mountains. So what, when you arrive here, you see these just big mountains and they are famous for that. There's like big parks or reserved areas that are, um, that are just safe and everything for government. So there's this big international parks now that are uh, famous because they're just in the mountains that they have different animals. They have uh, a lots of trees and lots of different, uh, yeah, like green areas. So it's just known by that because mountains, parks, big city, lots of stuff to do. And of course, big college. And the college is where you're at right now, finishing up. How do you, as a college student, balance bike racing, college training, and being, you know, a a, a young woman? It is kind of difficult. I'm not going to lie, because I've been doing this since I was like nine years old. And first of all, you have to sacrifice like like going out with your friends or whatever. And it may not seem important, but it's part of social life. And how do you like have your personal uh, relationships with people, friends, whatever. And of course, training also, like you really have to balance both because if not, you're gonna end up not doing well, neither of those. So I think it's, it was, I mean, I get used to it, but you need lots of organization, like waking up early, going to train, and then you need to have a very, very strict schedule because there's lots of traffic here. So I'm not close to my college. So I have to drive there, then via the class, via the college, do homework, come back home and do like homework, clean whatever you have to do at home. So yeah, it's, it, I mean, I really want to achieve a professional life as a nutritionist and also as an athlete. So I need to keep up with my grades because I also have this scholarship for being an athlete and because of my grades. So I have to do both good at the same time and it gets difficult to organize it. And I think it's very important to maintain, um, how, uh, how do you say it? Like psychological, like mental health because it gets crazy sometimes <laughs> trying to devote and trying to survive doing both at the same time and also having social life. So one of the things that you posted on Instagram was about how stressful it can be to get on a bike, train, get done with training, jump on a plane, go to the United States, race, and then get back up on a plane and go back to Mexico. I mean, for a lot of us here in the United States, the travel work bike racing dichotomy is, is challenging, but now you're adding customs and passport control on every trip. How do you maintain a, a like a, a healthy perspective and a smile when, when you're dealing with that extra challenge? So that's what I'm saying. You have to know what you're really doing because life doesn't stop. Like I'm going to race, but college is still there and I still have to do my assignments and I'm far from there. So I practically have to learn on my own and do my assignment on my own and then just go back to school and uh, how do you say, like see what I missed and then do it again. So I think it's just like I told you before, you need to focus. Like if you have this free time at the airport, like you're waiting or you layover or whatever, you have to use the time and I don't know, use some homework or when you were on the plane, uh, that's the time I use for studying or for doing some homework. And well, of course you have to, to meet, to schedule different things like my tests. I have to move them. I have to schedule some days before or after so I think it's just knowing what you're doing, like enjoying both, because you need to know what you're doing. You need to organize school and you need to organize racing and training, because if not, you're not going to enjoy neither of those. And so you need to know also 
when you are one thing, you need to focus on it. Like when you're racing, don't think about the school, don't think about studying because you're going to be stressed racing. And when you're in college, don't think about the next race you have or don't think about what you did before racing because it's going to stress you out too. So I think it's just going to, you just need to focus on what you're doing at that time. So it doesn't affect your whole life all the time. So I've noticed that you've been strategic with the races that you do, that you you seem to do large blocks of racing. So this year you came and you did speed week. That's six or so days of racing. Then you went home, you spent some time in Mexico, came back and did the New Jersey, you know, Pennsylvania races over Memorial Day. And now you're back again. Is is that part of your tactic or technique for making sure that you can stay on task with everything that you need to do in all aspects of your life? It's strategic what I do because at the first part of the year, we have lots of like holidays here at school. So it actually benefits me when there's like a holiday here, Friday or a Monday, so I can go and race and just miss less school days. So, or I just do the longer and no, the tiny ones are like next weekend, weekend after weekend, because then I'll have to miss school or go back to Mexico and go back and forth. And it's also not helpful for the team because there's a lot of money from the back and forth out of the country and in. So what I do is just do the like the longer days or races that are just like kind of apart from each other, like every 15 days or different weekends. So I don't need school like all in a row. So actually that's what I did like last year also at the second half of the year, I couldn't go to, to lots of races that were weekend after weekend. So I have to choose wisely, like had to talk to my director team and I was like, okay, which are the races that you need me the most or you think I could do better? So that's the races I would go. Why not just race in Mexico? You know, isn't there a vibrant bike racing culture in Mexico or is it, is are the opportunities that you have coming to the United States better? Definitely the opportunities are better. In Mexico, there is, I mean, there is bike racing culture, but it's just more in the southern center part of Mexico, not where I live. So it would be kind of expensive for me to go travel back and forth also to the southern center part of Mexico. And there's not big teams in Mexico. There's must be one and two. Well, for females, just one. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not the best things or I don't know. You don't get paid for it or it's just the price money. It's, yeah, it's just not convenient. For me, being a college student and also an athlete, and if you're looking for opportunities, yeah, racing in Mexico will just not be the best. So what we all Mexicans do is just look for opportunities out of the country. How did you kind of discover bike racing then in a country or in a part of a country that isn't exactly got a vibrant bike racing scene? Did you come from like a mountain biking or a track racing background? You know, how did you get into this? Uh, I kind of come from all of them. <laughs> My dad used to do bike racing, but just for fun, like with friends or whatever, mountain bike racing. And then when we were like, my brother and me, we were like eight and nine years old. Our father just took us to a bike racing, mountain bike racing. So we were just doing the kids races and whatever. And all of a sudden we were just... Uh, riding our bikes in some park and the state coach invited us to train if we wanted like train seriously and so we said yes like we were nine years old and yeah he introduced us to road racing but since I was very little I was not even junior or like kids uh, categories for racing I continued doing mountain bike and road racing and even for four years, I had to do BMX. <laughs> and then when I was like 13 years old, I had started doing track racing. So I did track racing from like 12 to 13 years old to 
19, 20 probably years old. And I stopped doing BMX at about 14 and stopped doing mountain bike at like 17. So I'm right now I'm just a fully road rider. I think what we should do is move on to talking about how did you find your way onto your team? Um, because I mean, like you're all in Goldman Sachs, like for the last two years, I mean, your nails are even done blue and white. You know, I know that you are, you're, you're passionate about this team that you're a part of. How did you find your way onto a team from South Florida when you're all the way on the other side of the Gulf of Mexico in Mexico? Uh, it was actually, well, I was recommended by another teammate that used to be in the team for lots of years, a Mexican girl. And she told them about me when they were looking for writers last year. Well, 2021, they were looking for writers. And I was just coming back from Europe after racing because I used to be in a continental team in Spain. And I was coming in here after COVID and everything. And well, I realized that I wanted to continue college. And while I was in Spain, I couldn't. I mean, I was doing it because it was still online because of COVID. Then I came back to Mexico and it was like in-person school. So I couldn't go back to Spain. I I had to choose like professional cycling, road racing, or finishing college. And I was like, okay, I wanted to both at the same time. So I'm going to look for something here in America. So I first started looking in Colombia. And I never thought about crit racing. Like I never thought about it. So I was looking for it. But then this girl from the team uh, texted me and she was like, are you looking for teams or something? And I was like, yeah, well, I actually am. And she was like, are you interested in racing crits, racing with the team I'm on? And I was like, yeah, I'll be interested. Like I'm a sprinter. So I was like, like, why not try and crit racing? That's fully for sprinters, right? So I was like, yeah, and I've never done it before. So it's like, yeah. So they, the director contacted me and he started talking to me and like kind of interviewing me. And then I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> so what was your first race here in the United States? My free, I did some local race in Miami, but my first big crit was Sonny King. Okay. So you did the Miami Grand Prix series. Yes. And then after that, which I think is like a, a March time frame, But like after that, you go off to one of the biggest crits in the United States and Sonny King. And I love that you finished, you got third in this Miami race. So it's probably like this, oh my God, crits are so, these, this is my jam. It's going to be easy. You're going to, I'm going to win. And then you go to Sonny King and you get 32nd out of 36. A shocking indoctrination into crit racing. What happened? No, it was definitely not easy when I did the Miami Grand Prix. When I did it, it was like I was not used to like starting full speed, like starting from zero to like 27 miles per hour in like one minute. So I was like, it was very difficult. Like my heart rate was very high all the time. I mean, I'm a very, I'm a like heart rate person, but I mean, it was very difficult even in the Grand Prix. Like I had three of my teammates, but then when I went to Sonny King and everyone was telling me like, don't worry about it. You're probably not going to finish the first races you do. And I did Sonny King. So I, I was like not thinking about like starting very like full speed all in and then you have to fight for positions. That was something I was not used to do. Uh, First of all, because like you're Mexican, races are very different. And when I was in Europe, races were still different. Like you have big pelotons or whatever, but you don't start like full speed (laughs) and everything. So yeah, it was kind of complicated for me. Like, like, what is this? <laughs> and yeah, of course, Sun King was not a good one for me. But then then it was good. <laughs> but Sun King was just... <laughs> Obviously, you learned really quickly because a couple of days later or a month later, you go to Easton 
you win at Easton and then you win a big one. Like, I don't know if you realize exactly how big winning Somerville is. Uh, I mean, let me ask you that. Do you know how big it is that the first time you ever do the tour of Somerville, the oldest race in the United States that you win? Do you understand? That's huge. <laughs> yeah, they told me that. And of course, I mean, that's when we had the very, very good team last year and we got along very well with each other. So they kind of believed in me because we didn't have Paola at that time because she was our sprinter. So they had me, so I had to, to do it for the team now and they helped me a lot and well, I achieved winning. And yeah, it was very beautiful for me and very big also because I mean, I... I win the oldest race in America and yeah, I definitely gain a lot of confidence by that weekend, like Memorial Day races. But then you go to the biggest race in the United States in Tulsa and uh, it, it looks like Tulsa did not go your way. No, it didn't. It definitely didn't. Uh, there was a massive crash. I don't know if you remember, you heard about it, but there was a massive crash, like 15 minutes in the race. And I was in, and I was one of the riders that was on the floor like for a couple of minutes. And yeah, I hit my fingers again, like this time you could see. Yeah, the fingers are not in a straight line. So uh, I saw that on Instagram. We're gonna get to your crash this year at Somerville, I'm sure shortly, but uh, your ring and middle fingers definitely veer away from each other. <laughs> yes. But yeah, in Tulsa, it happened kind of the same. Like, I don't know why. Well, the crash happened in the barriers. So I hit the barriers. So yeah, my fingers were destroyed, my face and my knee. So I definitely couldn't continue the race for the next days. So yeah, it didn't go end well for me. But it was definitely a race I wanted to do because Cry Baby Hill was definitely a race for me. Uh, but yeah, it was not good for me. And the second half of the year kind of was not because it then went Mexican national championships. And I was like two weeks later, uh, the crash in Tulsa. So yeah. So how did 2022, you know, when you walk away from your trip here, your trips here in the United States, which included, you know, Sonny King, New Jersey and in Pennsylvania, Armed Forces, Tulsa, all of Intelligentsia, you know, and Bucks County. I mean, you did a wide variety of places and races in the United States. Did you walk away from that year going, this is cool. I want to do it again. Or was it like, yeah, I've done it. I don't need to come back. Uh, definitely. I wanted to do it again because I don't know, Tulsa and armed forces i was not feeling very well like my legs or i don't know what happened that i didn't really feel well in that races so i was like okay i want to come back next year and do it like i want to have a result in tulsa i want to have yeah armed forces and of course i couldn't do it again this year <laughs> but yeah, no, it was definitely a very, very good experience for me. Like, I loved visiting the countries and I loved, like, the environment of the races. I, like, I, I really loved it. And there, another reason I wanted to do it again was because I still had a lot to learn. Like, like I don't know, I'm a sprinter, but I'm, I literally suck at fighting for positions. Like, I don't know why I don't feel like pushing people or, like, throwing elbows to someone it's not something you were used to doing like at road racing. Like, uh, I mean, of course you fight positions, but it's not that crazy in a road race and in a creed. In a creed, you're literally like fighting for your life on that last lap. <laughs> on those, or those five last laps, you're literally fighting for your life. If you look at the women that you beat at Somerville, so, you know, Kendall and Skyler and the Legion women were not there, but you were up against Debbie Milne from Superbars, Colleen Gullick, and, and the legend herself, Laura Van Gilder. These are women who know how to finish a race. 
and they know how to finish a race really well. What do you think that you owe your success at that race as compared to, you know, what happens a few, you know, a few weeks later when you go to armed forces and, and now you are racing against the Legion women and Maggie Coles Lister and, you know, the top sprinters on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. You know, what do you think is the difference between those two races? That's what I mean. Like they, those riders like Legion girl, they're really good at fighting for positions or like working together and everything. And I just think like, not that, not that I get intimidated by that, but I mean, I, I know I have like the strength or the legs to be there or to fight for a sprint, but I just don't get like very confident about fighting for positions. It kind of scares me. Like I don't want to be the one that just crashes out the whole peloton or like throw elbows to someone and this person crashes. Like I don't want to feel that. So I'm just, I just get kind of scared of that. Like, like I want to race clean or whatever. And I just get kind of scared, like fighting for positions. Like I don't want to crash into someone. Like I don't want, you know, I don't want to push someone and then this person just crashes. Like, I don't know how everyone rides a bike. Like, I don't know if I throw an elbow to someone, they would just like lose balance or something. Or if they do that to me, like, I just feel like very insecure about that. Like, I don't want to crush anyone or I don't want to touch anyone, you know, (laughs) like, I feel like... So if you look at at the, almost at the end of the year, you go to Chicago and you're racing the Intelligentsia Cup. And one of the last, the last race is the William Blair race, which is down by Goose Island Brewery. I don't know if you know Goose Island. Chicago is my hometown. So, you know, it's kind of like a legendary place for me. But you know, you finish ninth in that race and it is a very much sprinter's race. The woman who finished second or third, excuse me, was your teammate, Paula Munoz. You know, how much did you, and she's phenomenal. Like she has got such a great experience and set of results. So I'm wondering how much did your fellow countrywoman teach you about how to race bikes in these crits here in the United States? Oh, a lot. Like last year, all, and it's still this year, I'm not gonna like, I literally try to follow Paolo's wheel, like, and to see how she does, like, I know she's very good at it, at like fighting for positions and like moving through the peloton. So I was literally like trying to copy her moves, like, okay, if she's, or like, I was terrified about corners last year. <laughs> so I was like, okay, she's doing it. I should be able to. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I was like trying to follow her wheel and learning all of her skills, like just literally watching and follow what she was doing. So I learned a lot, but like how I told you before, like I still wanted and I still felt at the end of the year, like I, I had a lot to learn. So that's why I wanted to come back. But yeah, Paola was a very, very big help for me because she was also telling me stuff like do this or during the race, she was like pushing me through places like, okay, go here, take this place, like take this position, do this. So yeah, she was definitely a very, very um, good example of what a creed writer or a very creed writer and also a clean writer like she would never just like push people or whatever. She would do it like in a very clean and respectful way. So I think she's a very, very good writer with a perfect great writer to learn from. That's interesting that you brought that up about doing it clean. Because that's been one of the questions that we've been posing to people or that people have been asking of us is, is does it matter if you win? Or does it matter? Let me ask it better because I'm going to screw this one up. The question is, does it matter how you win as much as it does that you actually do? Does the way that you get to the line first, your behavior, your your path, I guess, matter? Or is the end result all that matters? 
for me, well, of course, people in the outside of the race would just see the podium and see who won the race or whatever, and they will will just just congrat or clap about it. But for a writer, for people that know about it, definitely for me, it matters how you do it and not if you just won the race. Like if you're a very respectful writer, like in a way that you're like very humble, respectful, and you are like appreciated by all the writers and you win the race, well, it's definitely, you know, that it was because this person is just very strong and knows how to race. And it was just not a person that was like people are scared of or whatever um, because it's just very rude or something. So it's for me, it definitely matters how you do it because it also you can see when a rider is just like up in the race, like doing something, trying to follow moves or whatever, and then comes to the race and still sprint, like you will appreciate that rider. Like you will say like, whoa, that's a very strong writer. He, he was, she, he, whatever was up there in every move and still was able to sprint, you know, and still move up and fight for a position and be there. Like he was there all the time. So yeah, it was definitely for me. It's like how you win it and not like just if you win the race or not. So how did you end up winning at Bucks County? at the end of the year last year, because it's yet again, maybe, maybe the mid Atlantic region of the United States is the place where you should move to because you seem to dominate in all these races, but you beat Sam Schneider, you beat Daniele Garcia, you beat Laura Van Gilder again, you beat these incredibly talented women and you did it not in a sprint. You were off the front by yourself. How did you win that race? Okay, that definitely, and I uh, and I have been told that for a lot of people, like that was a race for me because it was like had this little heel for the sprint that was benefit me because I'm like tiny and like I'm very tiny if you see me in person. <laughs> so of course, when it comes to a flat sprint, there's just like stronger, heavier sprinters that could beat me very easily because I'm just too tiny for it. So when it comes to a heel sprint, it's just easier for me. But at that race, the strategy was like, if it comes to sprint, Paola could sprint, but the rest of us could try a breakaway. And I was like, not very good at solo breakaway. So I tried it, like I had to attack like a hundred times in that race and I attack on that heel. And like, it was maybe from seven laps to go. I attacked on that heel and then I looked back and I was like on my own. And I was like, I was thinking like, um, now what? <laughs> like, like, should I continue or can someone please come and follow? Cause I don't want to be here. <laughs> Cause I mean, it's not my strength. So I suffer a lot when I go solo as, as every sprinter you now. So I was there and I was like, okay, I'm here. So I have to continue. So I, I did it and I gained a very uh, big lap between me and the group. So I was like, okay, I need to continue this gap. So yeah, that's basically how I did it. Like I had to attack a hundred times. <laughs> so one could stick and it was like that one, like from seven laps to go. So I was like, I had to survive seven laps and it was the most difficult thing for me. But yeah, I knew that and we knew that he, he came to a field sprint. We risk uh, that Sam could be as like at the spring since she's a very good writer. Like, Yeah. She's won as many sprints as you've raced in the United States. And that's not to say you've raced not a few times. She's just that good. So you come back here in 2023, uh, you, you, you win an early season race in Greenville, and then you go to speed week in you know, it looks like Speed Week was yet again still you trying to learn how to get there at the front at the end. Because, you know, for example, LaGrange. LaGrange is a race, by your own description, that you should probably be very good at. It has a very short, steep little hill and a false flat up to the finish line. 
you ended up 15th here. Spartanburg, again, is an uphill sprint to the end. You ended up 18th. You know, are you learning your lessons? Are you getting better? Do you feel more comfortable now in the sprints or is there still work that needs to be done? I mean, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Like I have to work on my confidence, like what I tell you, like fighting for a position, like, like I know I, I can be up there because I've shown it like in, in different races, but yeah, I think I feel, I feel like very intimidated when there's like this big lead out. So, or, or something and speed week, it was definitely good for me again. Cause I learned a lot still, but it was very different from last year because now we had a completely different team, like different teammates. So we still had to learn a lot from each other. Like how do everyone or each of the each of my teammates uh, raise and what are their strengths and whatever. So we were learning a lot from each other also. And one of the days, this there was this big hill, one of this big, uh, the new uh, courses, one of the new courses. It was a very good one for me too, but I had this like, uh, how do you call it? Like this stomach. I mean, I ate something and it was not good for me. So I had to quit that day, but then continue the rest like, like, um, very good. So yeah, Spartanburg and Lagrange and uh, College Park, I knew there was good days for me. So I tried to fight and follow someone's wheel that I knew it was safe and I knew it was a good wheel to follow. So that's what I tried to do. And, but still got kind of like intimidated for fighting for a position. So how are you going to fix that? What do you, what do you need to do in order to get the confidence to be able to fight at these big races? I think it's just practicing on smaller races, like this Memorial Day, like Easton, like I was in last weekend or, um, whatever other smaller races there are like practice or in this smaller fields. Um, and then just working on mental thing. It's just, I think it's just something like mentally, like you need to work on, like on your confidence or your psychological confidence, because it's just, you get there and you just shut down. I mean, but then you think about it, like everyone tells you like, uh, move up or go to the front and I was like I mean yes but <laughs> it's just like kind of difficult when you want to really do it like and then you're in a smaller field or whatever and you're up the front all the time but then you're in a big field and you're like uh how do I do it it's just I think something I have to work on mentally I mean because you at Easton you know at Memorial Day you get second to Stephanie Hallamack and, and Laura Van Gilders in third right behind you, you know, at, um, the, the race, the very next day, which was at, um, Plainfield, you end up in fourth, you know, so you've got these results, you know, in races where there are not insignificantly talented in numbers of women. So what is it that you are doing at Easton in a playing field that you don't think that you were doing at LaGrange or Hapville. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I think it's just mentally like when I know there's a bigger race or they're going to be the bigger riders or something, I just get like, I don't know, shut down or I, I don't know if it's intimidator or something, but even at Easton, uh, I had to fight the sprint. I came to the sprint in the last corner from like seven or eight wheel. Like I thought I wouldn't pass all these people and I, I managed to pass these people and still got second, but I came from seventh wheel. Like I was not like in a very, very good position. I mean, I, I wasn't a front, but I was not in a good position. Like for example, in plain field, like came from the back and I couldn't pass the people because it was very flat. Nistan, it was a heel sprint. So I was able to pass people. So I think it's just like working on that mentally, like, like, I don't know, like knowing that it's just the same, like I have to do the same, just, just different people, but it's not like, like it's a different thing or a different plan. Yeah. Do you do like visualize or 
mentally work through like a a race that's coming, for example? Like what's your next race in the United States that you plan on doing? Intelligence, yeah. Okay, so you'll you'll be there for West Dundee. This is great because it's an uphill sprint, very much an uphill sprint. And it's Yeah. Yeah, it's for you. A hundred percent for you. Like, have you sat there and visualized that right hand corner from the Fox River up to that finishing line and how you're going to go through that on the last lap? Yes. For I do that like kind of all the time. And even during the race, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe which wheel I'm going to follow or how am I going to do this? Or I know this person will uh, cut from the groove in the last lap. So don't be, uh, uh, I mean, behind this people, whatever. Yes, I definitely do it. But I think it, that's, it's my same problem. I just get it like kind of intimidated. Like I just like freak out at the moment or something like I want to do good, but then it's not like good enough for me. So it's just get like kind of mental game on that last lap or that five laps ago. Cause you know, you have to be up the front, you know, you have to fight for a position, but then you're not there. So you start to freak out and then four laps to go and then three, and you're still not up there. So you're like, now what, like, what's my plan B? Like just stay here or continue. And then you come to the next race and you're like, okay, if I could not do a sprint, then I should try for a breakaway, you know? So you start like thinking different strategies. So yes, I do visualize it. It's just, I need to put it in practice. Like, Let's visualize a little bit about Somerville this year, because that race did not end the way that any of the women wanted it to end because there was a really bad crash on the last lap on the straightaway on the backside, middle of the course sort of thing. So it's one of those where clearly something happened with the riders because there was no extrinsic sort of like curb, you know, corner pothole sort of thing. What, you know, where were you in the field on that last lap? I was definitely on the first 10 wheels. Like I was, I mean, I could not remember how many people was in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I was like fifth or sixth wheel. Like I was very at the front and the crash happened between the first two riders. So that's why the whole field went down. And I I mean, I'm going to be honest, like I was at the beginning of the race, like it was kind of sketchy because it was uh, tailwind on the back and headwind in the finish line. So we were going very, very, very fast on that back straight. So it was kind of sketchy that people were going very fast and just moving and the whole group together. So that was, that was basically what happened. They were going very fast. People were fighting for position. There was not a big team lead out that could make everyone go like single file. So we were in a bunch. So yes, the first riders went down fighting for positions and just, we were going like 30, 30, 30 something miles per hour when we went down. So there was no way we could hit the brakes or just avoid the crash. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for those people who've never been to Somerville or didn't do Somerville this year, you know, it's not a flat course and it's not four corners. It's like three and a half corners. And the part where your crash happened, you know, on that back stretch, there's a little bit of an uphill coming out of the second corner. And then it basically dives down to the third corner, which is the most narrow of all the corners. And this year there was a really substantial tailwind that was pushing behind you right there. So if you guys were on the downslope of that, you know, you were really moving and on top of it, it's the last lap, you know, sometimes speed is your friend in crit racing, I mean, that's what we've talked about a lot on this show, that the thing that makes the sport safe is teams taking control and raising the speed to the point where, you know, there's that pointy end. But at Somerville, coming down that backside, you can all get bunched up. And that's where, like, that's where the problems start to happen. And it's starting to sound like that's exactly what happened here is nobody wanted to be on the front, but all of a sudden everybody was at the front. 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because we were kind of like, when they uh, rang the bell for Wild Lab to go, there was kind of like a single file, but then it was tailwind on that back stretch. So everyone just bunched up at the same time. Like there was people just coming from, from the sides. So they did like this big <laughs> and massive bunch. So yes, they were just like throwing elbows at each other and everyone just fighting for the position because the sprint was headwing. So nobody wanted like to sprint earlier or whatever. So yeah, it would if it didn't happen there, it would have happened on the second to last corner because everyone was just like bunched up. So yeah, we were going down very fast, as you said. So yeah, it just happened and no one was able to avoid it. How are you recovering from that? Because I know that you lost a lot of skin. I know that you banged up your hands again. Uh, you know, like how are you recovering from that crash? Well, first I had to understand that it was gonna take time because I didn't break luckily I didn't break like any bones uh broke a bike <laughs> whatever <laughs> but yeah I have torn ligaments so it's something that's kind of like very painful also and it takes months to recover like as you can see I don't have like <laughs> you and I you and I have very similar fingers uh my yeah the oh yeah the that that pinky finger is uh Got a little bit of swelling going on there at the knuckle. Ouch. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also on stitches. Oh. There's lots of stitches in here. Yeah. yeah. What I was told by a hand surgeon is that the uh, the cartilage and the ligaments around those knuckles take a very long time for them to heal. So fortunately now I can get my wedding ring back on my finger because I couldn't for a long time and I was getting close to have to buy uh, 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 to sizing up because I think my wife was going to uh, not appreciate me going around without the wedding ring on for much longer. Yeah. Do you think you'll be ready for Intelligentsia? Well, I started to ride a bike literally yesterday, two days ago. I got on a bike for the first time after three weeks after Somerville. And it kind of felt good, but I'm just like not sure I could just like hold very time my handlebars for a sprint, for example. And I mean, I'll try, I'll be riding the rollers and I'll be riding outside on flat parts for endurance rides. But for sprinting, that would be kind of difficult. I mean, I'm not going to race if I'm not sure I could hit the brakes like very quickly because that would be a danger for the whole peloton. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that I still can manage my bike correctly. Like I can manage, like I could break or I have the same skills. Like I just want to make sure I can do that. And when I'm able to do that, then I can race. But yeah, I don't want to be intelligent yet. And then just to not feel like, uh, very confident about hitting the brakes or having the same skills I had before. So yeah, and then crashing everyone out or whatever. So yeah, I just want to make sure I, I can have my bike like very well. <laughs> Do you feel that you're emotionally or mentally ready for it? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really affect me that much now because it's something I understand like very quickly. That's a question I've been told before. Like, how do you feel about crashing? Like last year I crashed at tools and then I couldn't be able to race or crashing here and then not being able to raise intelligentsia or tools again or horses, whatever. And does it affect me mentally? And I don't think so. I think I, I take it like very, very um, easy. Like, like it's not my fault. Like I have to fully recover. I don't want to speed up like uh my recovery uh it's just like part of the process and part of cycling like you crash and then you come back you come back stronger or you don't but at some point you have to know it's just like not your fault and you have to know it's part of it and that recovering is part of the process and you have to do it correctly in order to be on the same place you were before and so it's, it was good racing time. It was a good time to focus also on school while recovering. And then uh, when you're on vacation, that I'm now vacations, now I have the time to fully focus on recovering and on the bike. So I just think it's, it's just, it just see it's what it is, right? <laughs> Let's 
switch gears here for a second and kind of talk about a topic which is interesting to me, which is the growth of Latin riders in American bike racing. I first started noticing an increase in the amount of Spanish being spoken in my races in 2019. Uh, originally, I had just sort of said, oh, well, we're in New York City. Uh, it's a very metropolitan area. There's people from all sorts of different countries that are here naturally anyways. But now I'm starting to see it not just in New York, but here in D.C., in the Midwest. There's all of these Latin riders. On the men's side, we've got, you know, like Clever Martinez, Alfredo Rodriguez. You know, on the women's side, we've got Marlise Mejas Garcia and Paulo Munoz, Daniele Garcia. You've got all of these men and women who are coming from a background that is very much different from my own, but we're all enjoying this very similar passion. Do you, as one of the younger riders owe anything or feel like there have been guides who've helped you get to where you are now other latin women or men who've said come with me this is really fun you should be a part of this definitely definitely we'd be a lot influenced by that because as i told you before like the one that got me into the team was another mexican that was in a team before like for many many years and yeah, I think because it's a different type of racing than the one you have in Europe or Mexico, that it's just road racing, stage racing, um, you get to try something new and something that's fully for sprinters or for, um, how do you say, like, um, yeah, fast people. So you are like very fast or whatever. And then you go to stage racing, you have these big heels and you're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> So, so, yeah, you're just like wondering, like, I mean, am I really a cyclist? Am I really going to be a professional cyclist? And then you go to the U.S. and you have the street racing there for fast people, for sprinters or whatever. And you get to try something new and something that is fun and something that you could be good on. So all sprinters, all the fast people that you have in Latin America are just like, okay, I'm going to go try it. And when you are like Mexican or like from Venezuela, Colombia, whatever, Latin, um, you get like uh, a lot of like people, you get lots of questions that you're like, are you having fun? Like, what's this different type of racing and how do you do it or whatever then you start talking about it like how do you like i don't know the environment in tulsa like how crazy it is or how big these races are or speed with intelligence yeah and everything and then they're like all into it like they want to watch it and they want to race it and they want to try it so that's that's what we do like okay and we're kind of close to the u.s so we're like okay come here and try it you could be good at this, you could be good at crits because you're fast or whatever. So I think it's just all these people that want to make sure you're having fun at the same time you're racing. You know, like, of course you suffer or whatever, but it's just not like a hundred mile racing <laughs> where you're suffering all the time. And just having fun and the teams are just very like fun all the time. Like the way... I was with my team last year. It was just like amazing. They received me very well and we got along very well. And I could say like 90% of my teammates were from Latin America. It was just like... I have a very vivid memory. You weren't there at the time because it was Speed Week last year in 2022. But the Masters race that I was doing was directly before the women's race, I think, or it was enough in advance of the women's race that the the women on your team were getting ready for their races. And now, you know, you've got the big van and everybody comes and they've got the, the trainers set up and it's a very professional, you know, look and very professional atmosphere. But the music that's coming in the party scene that's coming from Goldman Sachs is, is next level. You girls have a tremendous amount of fun it's a dance party basically <laughs> yeah and that's i mean and that's what we're all about like having fun while you're racing like really enjoying it like we were enjoying each other i mean like our teammates 
and we enjoyed like having fun together and that's what we were like that that was our main idea like having fun and then going to race like of course we take the race seriously but we also want to have fun at the same time and it makes things a lot easier and also like getting along with your teammates and having fun with your own teammates made things easier because you like understand each other and you like get along very well and of course Latin people were very well known as like kind of party people like <laughs> like and music and everything and dancing so yeah you had a team full of Latin people so that's what what you get you know like so there's this when it comes down to your team you know the the, the ethos of the team seems to be a lot of kind of almost like luxury American brands. Like, you know, you look at the sponsors who are a part of your, your program and, you know, Goldman Sachs ETFs. I mean, you start there with like big, serious, hardcore money. And then you're, you're looking at NASCAR is one of your sponsors and Abus, Safeti, you know, You've got this, in, and I remember last year, I think it was, there was jewelry that was involved in this culture. How much of Tish Kelly, the owner of this organization, kind of infiltrates into the way that you guys operate? Well, Tish is just an amazing businesswoman. Like, she knows how to get those big deals, like, with these big companies and big names, like... You know, how you said, like this yearly James of Note or Goldman Sachs or Capital Wealth Advisors last year or NASCAR, that's a big thing, or Avos. Um, she's just, just amazing doing that. And she really like tries and tells us and teaches us how to like how to do it. Like it's just it's yeah, I mean, you have to to really represent all of these uh companies. And show them like what we do, of course, and know, as I said before, like that we're having fun and that we are like very or that you have to be respectful woman or whatever, like racing. But these big brands, how you said, they really love like the way we handle the team or the way that Tish has a team or everything, you know, like NASCAR. Um, that was a very interesting sponsor this year and we got lots of questions about it and NASCAR well it's the first time they are sponsoring a women cycling team so it's like a very huge deal but they are doing that a lot of this year like they have a lot of this like associations related to women's sports like in NASCAR and they are like introducing women in a lot of NASCAR races and everything. So they wanted to do that and they wanted to be part of it. And of course, we're very grateful also with Fetty that they've been supporting us for lots of years. But yeah, we owe that to Tish. Like she really knows how to do that. And she really knows how everything works like in cycling and cycling and business. So yeah, we owe that all that to Tish. And we are, of course, very grateful of that. And yes, we need to show what we are like, like how the team, like we are like, um, like, like we deserve it. We can represent the, this companies or this round like very well, like we are showing it, like we're trying. <laughs> so where do we go from this, from, from here for you? Like, what's your ambition, your ultimate goal with, with this sport of bike racing? Well, uh, I wanted to be close to Mexico, like racing. You know, and I, like I told you before, while I was doing my college, because I wanted to finish college so then I could fully focus on the bike. But then at the same time, I wanted to leave my college life, you know, because I could just uh, put in pause my university or everything and just continue racing. And then when I stop racing, just continue school. But then the college life is just not the same when you're younger or when you're older. You have to leave what college is right now when it's the time, you know? 
So what I wanted to do is just like race in the U.S., you know, creeds or stage racing, whatever we have in the U.S. or in America. So when I finish college, I can continue and jump again, maybe in Europe or in stage racing or road team, because that's what my ambition is, like road racing. So it's basically that, like I want to finish my college, finish everything related to school, and then I could just continue fully focus on a professional bike racing. Wonderful. Well, we'll be there at Intelligentsia for sure. Hopefully we'll get to see you there. But thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you so much for, you, for inviting me. That was, it was a pleasure, yeah. for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. We are going to switch back to an every other week uh, production schedule because, frankly, doing every single week was starting to get really challenging, and I don't want to see the quality of these shows go down at all, and I want you guys to get the best of everything and it just just will be easier that way. So we will be back in two weeks' time after the 4th of July with an episode all about stage racing. So join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.